morning. Hey, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn over to Psalm 20. Uh, and welcome here. Uh, this, I remember when I was uh, a little boy, one of my earliest memories was 1976, and uh, there were red and white and blue bunting everywhere, and it was the bicentennial celebration, one of my earliest memories. And now here we are, 40 years later, celebrating the 240th anniversary of what God did when he uh, helped our country to become independent. And so we'll look at that psalm. Obviously, we're going to be looking at his faithfulness uh, to his people, uh, mostly. And that's what Psalm 20 is really all about. It's his faithfulness to his people. Uh, Psalm 20, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to read these verses, and then we'll have a word of prayer, and we'll, we'll jump in together to what the text says here. To the choir master, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer. He will answer him from his holy heaven with his saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. Father, as we come to you today, we ask that you would answer us when we call. Pray that, Lord, as your people in the world today, that we would be faithful to call to you. To cry out on behalf of the authorities that you've set up over us. Lord, to trust your name and not trust our military might. Help us with these things, we pray. So we commit uh, this morning to you. We want to learn and grow, and certainly we don't want some, somebody up here talking all about their uh, opinions. We want your word to teach us, and we want your son to be the center of what we do and say here today. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we, as we look at Psalm 20, I am amazed at what God teaches us here. There is a connection between trusting the Lord and prayer. There's a, a, an intricate and integral connection between those two concepts. Uh, Mary Washington, before she sent George off on his political career in the uh, 1700s, said these words to him. Remember, these are the, her final words to George. Remember that God is our only trust. To him I commend you, my son. Neglect not the daily uh, the duty of secret prayer. Neglect not the duty of secret prayer. And here Mary Washington's teaching George two things. Number one, she prays. And number, one, and number two, there's a connection between trusting the Lord 
and praying to the Lord. And so that is what this text is all about. This is a prayer of the people of God for the anointed king of God. This is a prayer as we come into God's presence together to support our king in prayer and ask God to do great things on his behalf. And so we're going to open it up because we, we together, God's people, we absolutely trust God. We need to be in prayer for our earthly kings. Here in the, in the passage, we have uh, David coming to the, the, the temple. And we have the people of God gathering with him. And so they're praying for him, and they're, they're asking the Lord to do this. We see that this is to the choir master, a psalm of David. Here's what probably happened, is that God delivered David in this crazy day of battle, and he's writing this down later. He's kind of taking notes about this later. He's writing a song to God later as he reflects on, man, do you remember that day? When we all gathered in the temple and the people of God supported me in prayer and stood with me and asked great things on my behalf. And so the first thing we're seeing there is because we absolutely trust God, we pray for our earthly kings. We, we go to the Lord in prayer. As David reflects on this, uh, I, I wonder uh, the kinds of things that he is thinking through. And certainly he's, again, back to this exact, you know, description, this exact experience in his life when the people gathered with him and for him. The people met him in the sanctuary and prayed over him. There are great lessons of prayer when you reflect on your prayer life. And that's what David does is he writes the psalm. He writes the song of what God has done in his life. So let me ask you this question. Do you reflect Do you ever write a song to God about what he has done in his faithfulness? Do you ever think it through and sit sit back and get your journal out and take notes and think, okay, now I remember 10 years ago and 15 years ago, here's what I was praying to God and here's how he answered it. Here's what he did in response to it. Here's the two lessons I learn as I reflect on my prayer life. Number one, God answers prayer. And here's the other thing, and this is very condemning to my heart, but I'm going to let you in, okay? There's a lot of things that I've been through in my life that I did not devote to the Lord in prayer. I didn't ask him. I didn't ask him to intervene. I didn't ask him to come and help. And a great example of that would be the politics we face in our world today and in our nation today. It is so easy for me to disconnect myself and do one of two extremes where I either go, well, God's sovereign, he's going to do what he's going to do, or I go to the other side and say, you know what, I'm going to make something happen in my strength or with my political opinion or with the way I think about this. And, and so we, we get in this, this mode of either doing too much or complaining instead of praying, and we, we, we err on one of those sides. But I have to be honest with you, I need to improve my prayer life with regard to what's happening in the world around me. And so again, this, we're, this first thing is we're going to be looking at because we absolutely trust God, we pray for our earthly kings. You may say this, it's easy for you to say that. They're praying for David. David was the man after God's heart. He was a good king. He was somebody who, who, whose whole life is characterized by being faithful. But look at us today and look at most of the nations of the world today. They don't have a good king to pray for. 
They don't have somebody to come into the sanctuary that's going to meet them in the sanctuary when they go to pray for him. Can I just remind you here today, we don't pray for just the good earthly kings. We don't just pray for the Davids. We pray for every earthly king. If you look over, and you, you can either look or you can see there in the, in the text that we pray for our earthly kings, good and bad, uh, that we look over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 3, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he's saying to them, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. That should be our characteristic. The people of God meet to pray for uh, kings, or for supplications and prayers and intercessions for all people. And then verse 2 goes on, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Who's Paul talking about in, in Timothy? Who are they praying for there? If we look back and we figure when Timothy wrote that and who he wrote it to, he's probably asking the church to pray for Nero. Nero was a bad emperor, a bad dictator. In fact, probably within the next five to seven years after Paul wrote those words, Nero put Paul to death. Most of the people that read the words of 1 Timothy chapter 2 read them after Paul was put to death, and they were reading Paul's hand, Paul's words, saying, you know what I want you to do? Pray for the man who put me to death. Pray for him, your king. We don't just pray for good kings. We pray for every authority that God has set up over every nation. Guys, don't think that God is somehow out of control when there's a bad king on the throne. God always uses bad situations for his purposes. God rises up and crushes and puts down right? He is on his throne, and we're going to look at that as we go through this morning. So we pray for our earthly authorities, both good and bad. The question has to be asked before we move on. Do you do that? Do you talk about the negatives that are going on in the world to people who can't do anything about them? Or do you talk to God about the king and the politics and the situation that are going on around you? This text calls you and me to bring our heart about our nation, our heart about the situation before the Lord. In confidence to him, pray for your kings. I just had to make a mark in my uh, journal this week and, and write down, I am not praying for our president enough. I don't know who the next king or the next president is going to be, be it a he or a she, but I do know this, I want to be the kind of person that is praying for them. Well, what do we pray for the king? Verses 1 through 5 should be open before you when you go to pray for your president. When you go to pray for the king, you should have Psalm 20 open before you. Here's some things that uh, we are instructed to pray about. May the Lord answer you in your day of trouble. Now, can I just say, there's about six things you can pray for your king just from that phrase. Pray that when the day of trouble comes, your king is pressed to the Lord. You ever pray that? Pray that the day of trouble comes for your king. 
It was a good thing that David, years later, could reflect on this and go, okay, that day of trouble, here's what I found out in that day of trouble. I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, and I found out that God is strong. I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, and I found God's people praying for me. Years later, he's writing a song about how great that moment was that his day of trouble drove him to a place where he was completely dependent before the Lord. And he saw that the people of God were not angry with him. They were not complaining about him. They were not uh, trying to overthrow him. They sat in the presence of the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, in his day of trouble, deliver, deliver our king. You pray like that? So we pray that the day of trouble moves the heart of our king. By the way, not just the heart of the king, but there's people all around the president of the United States. There's people all around him or her. There's advisors that aren't even voted in that they put in place, and God can do great things behind the scenes when you don't see it and when I don't see it. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of God of Jacob protect you. We can pray for protection for our king. May he send you help from the sanctuary. We can pray that spiritual help comes over our king. And may he give you support from Zion. The personal presence of the Lord delivering in battle is the picture there of Zion. That God himself shows up. You know that God responds to your prayers? You know that he actually moves when you pray? This is why it's so important to keep a journal and continually reflect on what you prayed and what happened. It will absolutely fuel your prayer life if you're tracking what God is doing. I love the story of, again, back to George Washington. He was in a situation, and this was before the Revolutionary War. It was during the French-Indian War in 1755. He was serving at that time with the British, And so the red coats were serving with them, and the French and Indian had set up a line, and to make a long story short, uh, the British were not good at at fighting in these places where there were like trees and and where it was, you know, hand-to-hand tight settings, and George Washington kind of, you know, that was his thing. He had... He'd been around in the U.S. for, for, you know, quite a while at that point and was growing in his understanding of these things. He was protected in this battle where there were British people falling all around him, including General uh, Braddock, who passed away at this battle. And so George Washington writes a note to his brother. And can I, can I just remind you before I read this? George Washington's mom, Mary, she's a prayer. She was praying. She sent him off and said, son, trust the Lord. Don't neglect the duty of your private prayer prayer life. So George writes this to his brother, by the all-powerful dispensations of providence, I have been protected beyond all human probability or expectation. For I had four bullets through my coat, two horses shot from under me, yet escaped unhurt, although death was leveling my companions on every side of me. God answers prayers. He protects kings and future kings. He protects generals and those in authority. Fifteen years later, George Washington was coming through that same place, and he had a friend with him, and he happened upon an Indian chief who had fought on the other side that day, 15 years prior. And that Indian chief said, ho, 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 I've been waiting to meet you. He didn't say that. He needed an interpreter, but you know what I'm saying. He said, I am chief 
and ruler over my tribes. My influence extends to the waters of the Great Lakes and to the far blue mountains. I have traveled a long and weary path, and I've been waiting to meet you. I called to my young men that day and said, Mark yon tall and daring warrior. Translation. Do you see that guy over there? We need to take him out. He is not of the Red Coat tribe. He hath an Indian's wisdom, and his warriors fight as we do, himself alone exposed. Quick, let your aim be certain, and he dies. Our rifles were leveled, rifles which but for you knew not how to miss. T'was all in vain. A power mightier far than we shielded you that day. Seeing you were under the special guardianship of the Great Spirit, we immediately ceased to fire at you. Now, George Washington's mom, if she hears this story, writes in her journal 20 years later, Blessed be the name of the Lord. I prayed that he would protect my son, and look what God did on our behalf. I'm going to read the final part of what the the Indian chief said. I'm not sure about his theology, but I want you to hear what he said, what he thought of the situation. Listen, the great spirit protects that man, pointing to Washington, and guides his destinies. He will become the chief of nations, and a people yet unborn will hail him as the founder of a mighty empire. I am come to pay homage to the man who is the particular favorite of heaven. And who can never die in battle? And he didn't. Amazing to see the hand of protection on the leader because people were praying for him. And I'm asking us today, church, do we pray like that? Do we pay close enough attention to see how God is answering our prayer for our elected officials? Are we watching world events and crying out to the Lord for his protection and for him to do what pleases him. Verse 3, may he remember all your offerings. And you know what? We, we need to pray that we have the kind of president, the kind of king who would make offerings to the Lord, who would have a true faith in Christ Jesus, who would truly serve the Lord. Even when we don't have a king that appears to be like that, we pray that he would be converted, that she would be converted and, and come to faith, a true faith. May the Lord regard your burnt sacrifices, Selah. Verse 4. May he grant your heart's desire. And again we say, well, this is so easy to pray over David because David's, David was known as the man after God's heart. What do we do when we have a king who's not known as a man after God's heart? We pray that the desires of his heart are changed. The Bible says very clearly that the Lord turns the heart of the king where he wills. And listen, you have access to the Lord. We have access to the Lord in prayer. Or we are going to him and saying, Lord, would you turn the heart of the king? Make his desires your desires. Here's another thing you can pray based on verse 4. Pray that any desire and plan that he has for battle that is not of the Lord and from the Lord comes to a fruitless and destructed, destructed end. Pray that when he makes, when she makes plans that are not of the Lord, that those plans come to a fruitless end. 
verse uh, 5. May we shout for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, set up banners. May the Lord fulfill your petitions. And now as you read this text, guys, you're starting to get this, I think. As we, the people of God, this psalm is inspired. They came together and they were praying for King David. Do you see that the prayers for King David were a prophecy about the son of David? You see, now that we're starting to talk about the one who would come to save his people, do you see now that as we go back up to verse 1, that there would be a day of trouble that would come for Jesus Christ, but that he would overcome in that day of trouble? Do you see that the, the name of the Lord protected Jesus at every turn while he lived in this world? Do you see verse 3, that uh, the Lord remembered Christ and saw him and drew his heart close to his own? Do you see in verse 4 that the heart's desire, that Jesus' heart's desire was to do the will of God? Do you see that God supernaturally delivered him through all of those things? So that we are not just praying for our authority over us, but here in Psalm 20 we're seeing that this is, this is about Jesus Christ and a day when he would come to deliver God's people from their day of trouble. Guys, it's, it's incredible to, to see that. And, and here's the question as we wrap up this point and move on to the next one. Have you prayed for the king? Have you written a song? Have you reflected on God's power to do what he wills. Do you think that a king was saved in this last year? Do you think that a person was spared in this last year as a response to your prayer life? That's profound. And that's how God wants to use you and me in his will and in his world. Well, Because we absolutely trust God, our second concept here is that we refuse to trust anything or anyone else but God. It is natural for us to say we're going to trust the king or we're going to trust our military might. And especially in this country that is now 240 years old, we are known for, for winning battles. We are known for the strength of our military. Listen, my friends, don't begin to trust the strength of the military. We thank God that we serve, that we live in a country that has a strong military. But we are not in this situation where, God, where, where we've won battles just because of the size of our military. And so, and so here is a question as we're thinking through, do I trust the Lord and do I refuse to trust anything else, okay? Those who trust the Lord know his word. His word. So if you trust the Lord, you know what his word says to you and about you. You're regularly reviewing it. You're thinking through what he did in history. You understand that he raises people up. That when he wanted to move Israel out of captivity in Egypt, do you remember that? They were in captivity and without an army, God moved them out They had no reason to be delivered other than the will of God. He moved them out and moved them to a place where now the strongest army known to man was on one side and the Red Sea was on the other side and there were mountains in between and they had nowhere to go. And by the power of his hand, God moved the Red Sea and the people of Israel went through to safety. And as the people of Egypt... uh, came after them and chased them, not only did their chariots not help them, 
but their chariots dragged them down to ultimate defeat as God let the waters come back and destroyed the armies that would move against his people. He did it without an army. Don't don't let your trust be in a big army. Don't let your feeling of safety and, and being in a good place come from the fact that you think we've got good government kind of lined up here. We need to review God's word. We need to know the things that he has promised. You know that God, he lifts up and God tears down. Do you, re- do you review that in your heart daily? That what's happening in the world is happening at the power and strength of the Lord himself? You know that God uses evil kings for his own purposes. And so when you see evil kings flourishing, you know that God is using them for his purposes. He's accomplishing what he wants to accomplish through them. You know that there are are hard days ahead for the people of God. That's not surprising us. None of us are saying with every strength of being, we will escape the hard days to come. And if you are, you're you're getting to a place where you're going to become worried. And when you become worried, you know the first thing you're going to do? Stop praying. You are going to start to try to control. You are going to turn to your own strength. If you think that the days ahead are supposed to be easy and that it's only going to be God's will if we're comforted. God's at work in this world. And when you review the word of God, you know that. It doesn't surprise you when these things happen. You're not taken off guard. You know that God will set all things up in perfect order. God has never backed off a promise. He has never let us be. Guys, here's the, the test for trust. We're talking about that so we know the word. We're reviewing it on a regular basis, but we're also reviewing God's faithfulness. God has been faithful. But here I want to get to this question. As we look at verse 6 and 7, look at verse 7. Some trust in chariots. And some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So here's the question I want to ask. What does it mean to trust in the name of the Lord our God? Again, we're reviewing who this God is. We're reviewing what his word says. And so some things I jotted down uh, to help us and understand and ask the question, do I trust in the name of the Lord our God? First thing I jotted down is to remind you, he is always truth. He always speaks the truth. He is the true God and there is none like him. Can I read this over you? Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. Can I just say, there's no competitors. There's no other gods but Him. He is the living God. At His wrath, the earth quakes, and the nations cannot endure His indignation. God is at work not only in the USA after 240 years, but in all of human history, God is the true God. Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. You know that's what's going to happen, and that's a part of what it means to trust the Lord. God has made many promises, and he has kept them all. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9, just an example. Here's a promise that the Lord has made. No, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenants and steadfast love and those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. 
he will be faithful to you and to the next generation. He is all wise. God knows everything that could happen, and he knows everything that that is happening, and he is choosing, as he brings history to its appointed end, he is choosing the best options that honor him and make much of his name. Now, normally, we would be sidetracked here by a discussion where we would ask the question, but what about my life? My life is so hard. If God is all-loving and God is all-wise, as we've just talked about, then what do you do with all of the trouble that I've seen in my life? Well, that's another message for another day. But I will say this to you. In a big picture, as you zoom out from your life and you see who God is, the Scriptures reveal a faithful God who is all-wise. Not only does he know the best thing to do, he is all-powerful, and he always does the best thing. Well, your heart should be lifted up with strength and encouragement as you look back to yesterday and see that God sustained Jesus in his hour of need, that God made a promise earlier than that, that there would be one who takes away the sins of the world. God has sustained everything and brought it to this amazing point where we can look back and say, well, to this point, God has never been faithless. He has never let his people down. He has never walked away. He has known the best thing to do. He has done the best thing by the power of his right arm. God is good. And so my friends, as we come into interaction with this living God, we come to the point where we honestly say, I see the armies of the world. I'm not moved by them. Whatever happens with ISIS, whatever happens with the armies of the world, whatever happens with all of these powers and and evil that's out there, here's what we know for sure. God will do the best thing. God will bring the best uh, uh, eventuality to be. God will be faithful to his people. God sees what you're going through. God will save many by the power of what Christ has accomplished on the cross. God is sovereign. So let me ask you this. With all that true, and we review the scriptures, and we review his faithfulness and and all of time, do you trust him? What an embarrassing thing it would be. What an embarrassing thing it would be for the people of God to say, yes, we know that God is trustworthy. We read the scriptures often. But we didn't trust him. When push came to shove and there was a new election cycle, we turned to our flesh. We turned to our political opinions. We turned to our insistence on a candidate. We turned to our opinion on a a specific issue. And we were unwilling to yield on that, to, to bend on that, to the point where I determined in my heart that I would do my will politically for God. Can I just really encourage you to examine that? That's the, that's the rebel cry. That's the cry of a rebel. To say, God, in this moment, I will do my will for your glory. Look out when you start saying that. Because I'm telling you, some things that are happening, if you're in that camp where I have been some days, you're not praying. You're not praying. And you don't have in mind the things of the Lord. And if you could examine what's really going on in your heart, you don't trust the Lord.
Sleepless nights are an opportunity when the world has gone crazy around you. Sleepless nights are an opportunity to review the scriptures again, aren't they? What does the word say? Who is this God we serve? How strong is he? How faithful is he? What has he done from the beginning of time to this day? What will he do and what does the word say he will do in the future? And we come to this point where we say, well, if we absolutely trust God, then we will absolutely go after his word. We will absolutely review what he's done, and we will absolutely refuse to trust the military might, even of the United States of America. We will not simply say that's what we trust, that we have a strong army. Listen, I'm not saying it's not good to have a strong army. We should have a strong army. And for all of you who are celebrating uh, military loved ones today, I celebrate with you. And I could talk for a long time about military heroes in my family that I thank God for, all the way back to at least the Civil War. Buried between Oostburg and Cedar Grove are uh, recent, uh, well, they died now 150 years ago. But the point being that they died uh, as soldiers, and I thank God for them. But my friends, at the end of the day, we trust the Lord. And all these other things that we've talked about cannot deliver us. As we think about prayer and we think about do we really trust what God's doing? Do we really trust that he is the all-powerful one? I'm reminded of what uh, this uh, Kent Hughes wrote. Kent Hughes is a pastor that was in the northern Chicago area for many years. Uh, I think he's uh, recently retired. But he he writes about this in his... uh, commentary on 1 Timothy. And it's this, that the Berlin Wall fell because God's people prayed that it would fall. Prayer brought down the Berlin Wall in May 1989 at Leipzig in the historic St. Nicholas Church where the Reformation had been introduced exactly 450 years earlier. A small group began to meet in one of the church's room to read the Sermon on the Mount and to pray for peace. The group expanded, moved to a larger room, and finally began to meet in the church's main sanctuary, which began to fill up. Alarmed, the communist authorities sent officials to attend. They threatened the gatherers and temporarily jailed some. On prayer nights, they blocked the city's nearest Autobahn off-ramp. And then on October 9, 1989, some 2,000 individuals crowded in to pray for peace, and another 10,000 gathered outside. And soon the Berlin Wall came down. And Dr. Hughes writes this, Coincidence? No. This is the kind of response of a caring, all-powerful God to the prayers of his people. Do you pray? Or do you quickly turn to your own strength? Do you stay up at night and and worry with anxiety? And again, those sleepless nights, guys, are opportunities for you to go back to the Word and to review what God has said about himself and, and to review what he has done in history. Things like the Berlin Wall falling. We review stories like that and go, you know what? When God's people, not when we amassed an army, when God's people prayed, he responded to the prayers of his people. And that's really what Psalm 20 is all about. God will deliver you. And God will deliver his people in the midst of these situations. So may the Lord answer you in your day of trouble. Verse 7, 
Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall. Boy, when we trust the army itself, the people who trust the army itself and try to set it up, they collapse and fall. And again, a great example of that would be the the chariots that are at the the bottom of the Red Sea that we are even now, through archaeology, beginning to discover there. Some trust in the chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Verse 9. Verse 9, as we, because we absolutely trust God, we look for his salvation. Listen, his salvation is coming to all who trust him. We have more in common with Christians in countries all around the world than we have with unbelievers in our own country. And so as the people of God look For Jesus to come and save the people of God, we look with one eye to heaven for what God promised he will do in sending his son, Jesus Christ. We look for his salvation. Those who trust the Lord will not be put to shame. And so we think, oh, it's it's embarrassing. We're weak. We meet and we pray to God. Can I just tell you, those who meet to pray to God will not be put to shame. The Bible says very clearly, one day every eye will see Christ come in glory and his coming will glorify God the Father and the minds will know those guys that were meeting in prayer when the world seemed to be coming apart, when the wheels were off the cart, those were the people who saw clearly what they should do. And more importantly, they prayed at that point to the living God. Their eyes will be open. And so don't think that you're choosing the weak thing by coming to prayer meeting and by meeting with the Lord in your prayer closet. You're choosing the good, and you are choosing the one who will have ultimate say and who will be the ultimate victor in the final day. O Lord, save the king, verse 9 says. May he answer us when we call. And verse 9 wraps it up really nicely because if you look back at verse 1, he started off with those very same words. O Lord, hear the king. In the day of trouble. Hear him cry out. Verse 9. O Lord hear us. So here's the question. The Lord listens closely to your words. Does he hear you complaining about the politics of the day? Or does he hear you crying out to him for help? Does he see you wringing your hands and trying to make things happen? In your sleepless night, does he see you fretting and worrying about things that you have no control over? Or does he hear you praying and crying out to him? We summarize this psalm to you today by saying to you, we pray for our king, but we pray to the king of kings and lord of lords. That we pray for the deliverance of our king, but we know that deliverance comes from heaven itself. That we pray for the plans of our king to be seen, but we pray to the all-wise God. So my encouragement to you is that you get out your journal this weekend and write some poetry reflecting on your prayer life for the last 30 or 40 years of your life. Because when we come to Psalm 20, you realize that this is poetry. My point there is to say it's not just trying to tell us true things about God. It's trying to show us the way a king's heart was changed because of God. Because of God's power. 
because of his activity, because of his tender, loving care, because he's involved in the life of his people. David here is writing a psalm, something that would be sung by the people of God as he reflects on the fact that God is strong. Do you ever sit with a pen and reflect on the fact that God is strong? That's what this psalm teaches us to do. Identify areas of your life where you honestly are prayerless and you are not trusting in the name of the Lord your God. If you're like me, you have some areas like that. Here's how you know you're not trusting God. You're not praying about it. You're not praying about the next president because you're trying to make it happen yourself. You're not praying about it because you don't think he cares too much. You're not praying about it because you think you could do a better job than him. So identify whatever that area of your life is where you're prayerless and come before the Lord and, and roll it over onto him and realize, my friend, he's the one who hears prayers. He's the one who's all-powerful. He's the one who's given us uh, promises about what he's going to do. And so we identify those areas. And I want to just remind you in closing, our God is 100% trustworthy. He is able to do what he sets out to do. He is all-wise, and he sees the beginning from the end. He is all-powerful, and he can bring about good things. He is all-good, and he will bring those good things about. And I know there's examples in your life where you would cry out with me, and I would just cry with you and say, you know, I know your life doesn't fully show that God is all-wise and all-powerful and all-good. And so I come before you today, not, not trying to convince you of this mentally, but trying to show it to you by your heart and by the history of what God has done in all of human history to this point and to remind you who he is. There is no moment in the history of the world when God has not acted to bring about his will for his purposes and by his power. And my friends... As we consider the 240th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence, he will not be faithless today. He will act according to his good word today. Cry out to him. Sing songs to him. Trust him in the day of trouble. Let's stand together and be dismissed. Lord, I know that I don't know all the days of trouble represented in this room. And so I humble myself before you. I pray for the one who, whose day of trouble is a, a word they heard from the doctor last week or the week prior. I humble myself before you and pray for the one whose day of trouble is, is dark, mistreatment by loved ones. I humble myself before you with the one who say, no, my day of trouble is this election season where there doesn't seem to be a good choice and I'm starting to fret. But Lord, we come before you today and we pray for the king. We are so thankful that in praying for the king, we pray to the king of kings who will work every detail according to his will. We trust this country to you. 
We trust this world to you. We give you our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we become a church of prayer. We continue to grow in this. I thank you, Lord, that we we are a church of prayer, that we see examples of that everywhere. And I know I can pray more faithfully. And I ask you to do that in my heart and in all of our hearts. As we appeal to your throne room to help, as we stop thinking that it depends on us, and we admit that it's not about the strong army, it's about the strong king. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.